This podcast has proudly been sponsored by the Vice-Chancellor of Tasmanian University, Professor Rufus Black. Rufus was one of our 2018 podcast interviewees. To find out more about his amazing story, head to deardyslexic.com and listen to his podcast, which is episode 15. It's been such a challenging few months, especially for those with dyslexia and other neurodivergent conditions, such as autism. Today's interview is all about how we can better support our neurodiverse community during this pandemic. And I'm so pleased to be able to speak to Andrew Eddy today. Andrew is the co-founder of Untapped. It's a social enterprise that focuses on developing a neurodiverse employment ecosystem to increase opportunities for those that have autism. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Andrew. Great, really appreciate your time. Well, it's great to, to meet you, Shay, and uh, great to join you. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your work at Untapped and um, why you started this fantastic initiative? Yeah, I guess... Um, I guess what we're trying to do is develop this whole ecosystem around neurodiverse employment, um, focusing first around autism as something that seems to have got a lot of traction and got a lot of interest from people. And when I say ecosystem, it's really about trying to look at all aspects of that um, in terms of creating demand for talent, uh, for gaps that employees might, employers might have. Um, to creating a pipeline of talent to meet that, that need, um, to helping train the organisation on how to work differently with uh, autistic employees, uh, how to have a whole program um, to support them through their journey with that employer, um, working with um, human services organisations that might work with autistic people in the disability employment space, as a way of finding more people that could um, be candidates for these these programs, um, also working with universities and TAFEs to try and create that um, that pipeline um, by having programs at universities, uh, having uh, also linkages with training organisations, with architects that might help with office design that's more appropriate, more accommodating. Um, and then the whole thing around research across all these areas to try and inform and, and develop better practice that can support this overall uh, ecosystem of um, employment programs. So that's broadly what we're trying to do. And um, really the, the, the key there is creating the demand and really working with companies to create those employment programs um, so that we actually have a demand for this talent so we can then try and find that talent and develop it and find opportunities. So really how it all started, um, I have a linkage with La Trobe University and uh, they have the Olga Tennyson Autism Research Centre out there. And um, I provide a linkage between them and um, the program that DXE Technology run, which, is the, uh, which they've been running for many years. Um, and I guess in being involved in that, I got to see there's a high proportion of people out there that are impacted by autism through personal experience. So their son or daughter or their cousin or, or nephew or niece um, would be autistic and keen, they had a keen desire to try and do something around that. And also to recognise that a very sizable proportion of people 
on NDIs benefits are autistic. So something like 29 or 30% of people um, registered with NDIS. So I then became involved with talking to companies about the idea of doing these sorts of programs uh, and creating autism and work programs. And, and now I've moved into providing a range of services around that through Untapped, um, a range of services to support those sort of programs, uh, including supporting DXC, but also looking to support other organisations as well. So and that's sort of where it came from. Sounds like a fantastic initiative. And you're right, with people with autism or neurodiverse, people that are neurodiverse, we're everywhere. How do you think that we can expand? Because there's been a really big shift um, around neurodiversity overseas around including people with dyslexia and ADHD and other mm. differences. Um, and really the drive has been through the autism channel, like you've just talked about. How do you think we yes. can broaden it out to be more inclusive of people that have dyslexia or other learning disabilities or difficulties? Yep, it's a good, good question. And I guess how, how I see it happening is that there seems to be this the possibility of getting traction around autism. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to run with that and, and support that. But at the same time, you start generating a broader conversation, a broader narrative around other variations, starting to promote the thought of having, uh, recognising those other variations. So, for instance, with um, Medibank, they have started a group which is like a, a neurodiverse network within their organisation uh, amongst their employees. And they're just promoting that as being a broad thing across uh, the range of variations you see. Another thing we're focusing on or doing is in, as part of the training that um, we provide in some of the programs, we're um, using a, an e-learning platform called Optimize and they have um, some of their training is around other variations in neurodiversity. So I think that's important as well. And really just through the Neurodiversity Hub initiative, which I can talk more about, trying to include materials on there that speak to the broader set of variations um, beyond autism. That sounds great. And it'd be, um, it's great to hear that organisations or big corporates like Medibank are starting to broaden and diversify their workforce and be more inclusive. It's exciting to hear and it's exciting to see what's coming out of um, places like the UK where they've got a significant amount of corporates now starting to look at how they can support neurodiverse staff and be inclusive of them. Yes. So the Neurodiversity Hub, so that's um, across the whole country. Well, it's actually global. Um, it's, it's sort of started off as being this idea for Australia and the idea originally to try and use this as a way of generating universities to expand their existing programs to be more neurodiverse friendly. So that's where it sort of started from as an idea um, and having one university in each state um, join this community of practice, uh, employers to join as well and work together to create a co-curricular program that could help autistic students, neurodiverse students uh, in three ways because I think I think there are three ways in which we are failing these students. One is in terms of getting them to university, so creating the pathways for them to get to university. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of kids are just dropping out uh, as they run, go through high school and they're not even thinking about, and their parents are certainly not thinking about uh, the idea of them going to university or TAFE. 
So that's one area. Another area of failing is even if they do get there, that they, they don't make it through. So they fail academically in getting through because it's such a big change versus what they're used to. There's, it's hard enough for a lot of kids to get through university. Uh, it makes it even harder with um, some neurodiverse variation. And then the third area is even if they do get through, they haven't got work experience. So they don't stack up well against other students, neurotypical students that um, might have done a you know, secondment here or an internship there. Um, they just don't end up with the same sort of CV. Um, so when they go to apply to employers, they just don't, they're not, credit, not a credible alternative. So they don't get the opportunities. So they're the things that we wanted to focus on and create this program. So a couple of years ago, there was a, a co-design process with a whole range of employers and universities, including Swinburne, or Trobe, University of Queensland, Curtin University, um, to create this, this co-curricular program as a theoretical thing. And then a year ago, we were lucky to have uh, sponsorship from DXC for a couple of interns to come out from Cornell University. And we worked tirelessly for four months, um, creating that theoretical model into actual resources that are now on the Neurodiversity Hub that's been relaunched. Um, so really creating that actual set of resources that universities can look at and we can work with them on to put those programs in place. And during that process, we, um, we had the opportunity to talk to some universities in the US that have, um, uh, have been running programs for many, many years. And we had a chance to share with them what we we're thinking of and they gave us some great thoughts about how to improve the model. But they then um, wanted to know what we were up to. So we, we talked to them about the concept that we had. And they turned around and said, well, actually, can we, can we join what you're doing? And we said, well, why do you want to do that? You've been doing this for 10 years. And they said, well, you know, we've got some great programs, some great academic programs, but we haven't, we're not very good at the employer interface piece. And we really want to do that because we need to be able to get the jobs for these people. It's not enough for them to have the academic qualifications they need to have the, the jobs and the job opportunities so we've had a number of universities in the USA now join the hub as well and we've got some in the UK that have joined too so um, it's become a more of a global thing. That's fantastic and when I was listening to you talk about those three um, different challenges they really resonated with me for young people that have dyslexia and when I was running my webinar the other night, a parent asked me, but how do we get them to university? How do we get right. them through secondary school? And what is the pathway? And I really didn't have a, a solid concrete answer for them at the moment, uh, which was frustrating for me because I felt like I hadn't helped them as much as I could have. But yes. you know, that dropout period where you know young people aren't even getting to finish school, let alone think about the possibility of going to TAFE or uh, university. So it'll be really... Um, good for people to hear about what you're doing and how we could be linking young people through a pathway that enables them to get into university. Yes, yes. So, um, I mean, one of the focuses of the hub is around that transition to university. And in thinking of, or in looking at that whole topic, we came across some materials that have been developed at La Trobe University through a research grant many years ago. And there was a whole lot of materials around that transition process um, for students, for parents and carers and also for university staff. And so we, we then approached our tribe and said, well, look, can we take this information because we think this is really valuable, you know, re review it, refresh it and present it up on the hub. 
uh, because it was just sitting on their, their Latrobe website and no one knew about it. So we had the original researchers review the whole lot and update it, and then we've reformatted and represented it um, onto the hub. We've created downloadable pamphlets for students, for parents, for university staff. They developed a, a training, a, little, a short training program with PowerPoint slides and speaker notes, and that's all on the hub as well. That can, that's white labeled, so any university can use that. So we've now put those things up. So that's one part of it is, is that transition. And those materials are as useful for a first year student as they are for a year 11 and 12 students. So there's that opportunity to be uh, helping students see what the transition is, can be like. But we do want to go further, and it is about creating more of that discussion and interaction between the schools and the universities. And we've started reaching back into schools to you know, get to see if, if they would like to join the hub. Um, maybe there's the other, some other materials that we can de develop specifically for senior high school students. A couple of weeks ago, we created a, a separate page on the hub for high schools. Um, where we're trying now to pull together some materials which we think are relevant and we want to develop that further, create those sort of resources. Uh, there's a lady in the UK, autistic lady, but she's also got a number of other neurodiverse variations, but her name is Sienna Castellone and she's started this uh, movement called Neurodiversity Celebration Week and it's focused on high schools and universities. And last year she had 300 schools in the UK sign up to this initiative this year, she got over 750 schools globally signed up to this initiative. Wow. And unfortunately, the week of the celebrations was the first week of everything shutting down for the COVID-19. And so a number of events were cancelled. She still did uh, her interview on BBC Breakfast Show. Uh, she did a number of other events. But the function that she had lined up with Stanford got cancelled. Um, we were going to have an event here in Melbourne with Genazano with a with a, a parent evening, parent and student evening at Genazano on the Thursday night. That got cancelled. Mm. But um, the keynote speaker we had for that event, um, Beth Radulski, who is a PhD student at La Trobe who's, who's autistic, Beth was kind enough to uh, still record uh, what she was going to say. And so that is, uh, we've now put that up, a link to that um, up on the Hub website. So it's a, it's a great talk that she's given. It's, it's, um, there's one talk on neurodiversity, which is six minutes, and there's another one on neurodiversity in education, which is 10 minutes, and, and very well worthwhile watching both of those. That sounds uh, fantastic, and I think it's a really great step in starting to have the conversation because I think particularly for people with dyslexia, we've been left behind, and the term neurodiversity for us is just starting to resonate. I guess, for a lot of people. So I think having these type of celebrations and acknowledgements where we can bring all diversity, neurodiversity together will be a fantastic opportunity in those pathways in to help support young people as well. Yes. How I was talking with West, I was just talking with Westchester University and, and I got them interested in the, in the Neurodiversity Celebration Week and they were going to run uh, on each day, they're going to run a session on, on each of the variations and just do a celebration of each variation each day during the week. Um, and unfortunately, they closed down because of COVID, but they still ran it online. Yeah. So it was, it's good to see that, that we're really seeing that there's these different variations and we need to look at all of them. 
We do. And I think I was presenting last year at a um, neurodiversity symposium. And when I first got there, I was thinking, why are they putting people with dyslexia in with people with autism? You know, we've got, it's so different. And as I sat and listened to people's experience of autism, I came to realise that there are so many similarities in the challenges we're facing, not just our characteristics of our diversity, but also then how we're treated um, in the big wide world. And it really started to help me think about this neurodiversity framework that we're talking about now, trying to look at how dyslexia can be included and the awareness raising around that. So it's interesting phase we're in, I think, at the moment for people. Yeah, I think the other thing is, of course, uh, you know, many people have more than one variation anyway. So Mm, that's right. um, I think that's important to recognise as well. Yeah, well, a lot of people with autism have dyslexia. Yes. A lot of people with dyslexia have autism, to put it either way. And then ADHD is thrown in amongst all of it. Yes. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of variations and uh, different inclusions that we all have with our diversity. So how can we, um, you mentioned COVID and the upheaval it's created around the world. How do you think we could be better supporting um, our neurodiverse students at the moment? Yeah, well, we're, we've, we've actually um, tried to curate some resources on the hub for both for students and for young adults working at home uh, because it is, a, it is a harder time and really just trying to bring some simple things uh, as, as principles. And I, I just saw a set of really good principles um, last week, um, which we're going to put up on the hub. But it's really this idea about dedicating, you know, finding a workplace in your home where you can call it your own and, and make it your own, really pacing yourself and staying positive, taking breaks, doing exercise, stretching. Um, the idea of if you're in the workplace, you know, dressing as though you're going to the office anyway, just to make that break. And, and keep that routine. Um, make sure you've got all your technology access so you've got the connection to the internet that's working and all those basic things. Remaining in contact with your colleagues, uh, making sure you're using all the tools um, that, that are there to, to stay in, in touch with everyone. And really trying to um, avoid distractions. So being careful around social media, Um, making sure you're setting goals for the day, um, breaking your workload into smaller tasks, those sorts of things. So a lot of those sound very common sense, but it's just the way this is brought together in this very clear set of steps was was quite good, I thought. That sounds great. I've just noted some of those to put out to our community and then link them through to to the work you're doing. But it is really easy to get distracted and yes. to fall out of routine as well. well and yeah, and there's a whole mental health issue. Mm. Um, everyone, I think, is is feeling that. Um, it's this, I don't know if you know the movie Groundhog Day, but it's mm-hmm. just, you, you feel like you're, what, you're living it. You're living it. Um, and I know a lot of uh, neurodiverse people who've had, who have men, mental health issues um, probably are feeling a lot of those pressures uh, and now again, and um, it's it's something where we've got to. I think it's important to be linking back to the networks of support that they've got um, to help them to get through this um, until we get back to some sort of level of normalcy. Yes, I don't know what the stats are like for uh, people with autism and mental health, but for dyslexia, we're twice as likely to be having um, anxiety or depression or a mental health illness 
compared yes. to the rest of the population, which is quite high. And so we've been trying to just push out either whether it's just a quote of the day or links to Beyond Blue or links to other um, mental health support or just reminding people that they can reach out and connect to us if they need to um, yep. during this time because yeah, regardless of whether you're neurodiverse or not, it, it's challenging right now. And you don't know whether you're making a difference, but you've got to just keep pushing and keep putting, I think, the information out in the hope that, you know, it might resonate with someone. Um, yes. I even do a weekly check-in video now, which I get so anxious about, and sometimes only lasts for a minute or two minutes. But it's just, you know, again, putting out things with, to remind people that we're all here if we need them, if they need us. Yes, yes. I've been reading a little bit around particularly parents saying that this shift now to the online learning space that we're in for students that are dyslexic or neurodiverse is going to um, be a real challenge for them. And it's yet some of the people that I know had or got dyslexia, they've found that online learning has been actually much more beneficial for them because it's at a different pace. They're in their own environment where it's quiet. They've got time to concentrate. Do you, what do you think, do you think this is going to be a bad shift for neurodiverse students or do you think it will be, um, it'll end up being a positive for them? I, th I think it's good for them um, in terms of just getting through things. But I, I, I think for all students, it's, it's hard not having that additional dimension of the, the you know, in-person contact mm. and the experience um, because at the end of the day, we're not an online world, um, you know, there is, there is that personal interaction. So I think it's important over time to have that um, exposure to that in-person contact. So um, I think everyone's going to be impacted with what's happening now. Um, um, and I think we need to get back to that. I think it just also adds to some of the mental health issues as well, having that isolation too. So um, whilst it might, seem positive at the outset, I think there'll be those longer term issues which we um, have to address. Well, you've given some great strategies already for people in the workplace that I think would be just as relevant for students around trying to avoid distractions and social media, goal setting yes. and chunking out your day. Are there other um, strategies that you think could be useful within the study space or do you think pretty much what we've discussed around the workplace would be the same for students? I think they're very similar, you know, the, the whole thing about having uh, some stretching, some exercise, um, taking those breaks, making sure you've got that space that you can, you know, when you're in that space that that's what you're doing, you're working or you're studying and, and just making, keeping, keeping your uh, circle of contacts going, your support circle going. Uh, I think that's, that's really important. Um, so I think they're, they're just as relevant for those studying as they are for those working. And you recently uh, released a care pack that we shared throughout our um, networks. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and what's in your care pack? Um, yes, so what we were, I guess, trying to do was just create some things that would help um, people with, um, with the situations there. We have... Uh, people working on this um, Be Your Best program, which we've developed. So this is part of uh, Neurodiversity Hub program is to create this life skills and work-ready skills program of activities. First uh, subject that we're developing or first course in the Be Your Best is uh, organisational skills because we see that as being 
absolutely critical, absolutely critical for uh, neurodiverse people in terms of having that executive function, those basic skills. Mm. Um, so we see that's that's key, um, and we just wanted to pull together on the back of that some other things that would help people with how they're thinking at the moment. A few exercises um, around centering, around ground, a grounding exercise, if you like, to bring them back to normality if, if they've got an anxious situation. Um, there's even um, a colouring in uh, activity there as well if the people who want to who'd like to do something and draw something. And there's some some items on there that um, uh, we think could be quite helpful in this time, and we wanted to get those out there and, and make them available on the Be Your Best. Uh, set of resources to to help people. I love a bit of colouring in. Yep. And a bit of meditation. Again, falling out of routines. I'd stopped meditating in the last few weeks, and I started right. again last night. You just start to fall out of these habits that you're used to doing all yes. the time. Yes. So, um, but I felt that found that pack to be really useful. So, oh, good. hopefully Great. our listeners will have it up on our website, and they can access it through us or through the neurodiversity hubs as well. Great. keep circulating it out and around. Are there um, other things you think we could be doing right now to help our neurodiverse community, whether it's in higher education or those in the workplace uh, at the moment? Do you think that we haven't well, really spoken about? Yeah, it, I mean, it is hard, but I, I, I'm continuing to push um, this idea of increasing awareness and changing the narrative. And I think that's so important. Um, uh, there's just a lot of misinformation out there, uh, not a recognition of the strength, strengths that uh, a number of neurodiverse people have, how they can help a company's capabilities by focusing on this. So um, even in this time, it's, um, I'm continuing to talk to companies and universities about the Neurodiversity Hub program and, uh, and how they can be part of it and how they can promote it. So we're continuing to talk about that, continuing to look at how we can develop programs. Um, but it is about that continued awareness. Um, it is about sharing articles. You know, we've got a Facebook page, as, as, as you do, I'm sure, um, where we're putting out articles um, around neurodiversity. Um, so we're putting out, you know, 10 articles a month or something that we're finding around the world. Um, but that's just trying to promote that narrative about inclusiveness you know there are a number of companies that are, are, are creating these special interest groups um, and it's about promoting those as well so you know Medibank I mentioned before GHD Engineering have created a, a group within their organization in Australia um, to focus on this um, NAB have a group they're working on on taking the, the concept across so it's it's really about that whole thing and then continuing to promote that with universities because um, universities have this whole desire to uh, have more students succeed um, at university and uh, this cohort um, tends to be a group that um, will drop out more easily than neurotypicals um, or get to the end of university and, and not get those working opportunities and with the new Funding regimes coming into universities, it's important that they uh, have high student, high student satisfaction, uh, high level of student success and good student outcomes in terms of employment. So there's quite a few 
parts of the funding model that the objectives of the neurodiversity hub actually hits. And so, you know, we're trying to promote the idea of getting part, becoming part of the neurodiversity hub and actually helping their whole funding model through that. Sounds fantastic. Are there any, um, I mean, that's the question that was posed to me the other night around how do we get this their ch to children to either TAFE or higher ed if that's what they're wanting? Is there any work you've done in this space with those pathways that we could be better promoting around how we support? Is there any work in the TAFE space probably is where my part of my question is? Yeah, so we've done some work with um, Box Hill TAFE in Victoria where we're trying to look at creating a neurodiversity hub, neurodiversity TAFE hub there um, and actually take uh, some of their existing courses mainly in cybersecurity and look at how we could repackage that and make it more neurodiverse friendly. But um, uh, we've worked with them on a funding package with the government but haven't managed to be successful about as yet. So that was one idea. And we've also spoken with um, New South Wales TAFE about a similar similar thing, but no, no traction as yet. Yeah. Um, with schools, um, very much... Um, trying to hook in to those where we see interest in this um, and seeing how we can um, develop resources that might help students and parents um, have you know increase their level of confidence and if we can then create those hubs at the universities they can start to see that this could be a destination for their son or daughter mm. um, and I know you know some of the universities La Trobe University of Victoria for instance is keen to be um, seen as um, a university that's very inclusive and open and, and, and a university for choice for, for neurodiverse students because they're trying to look at everything they do and make it more neurodiverse friendly. So that's something that's that's um, you know, been underway for a few months now. I think the um, concept of a neurodiversity hub in schools will be fantastic because I think sometimes, you know, even career counsellors and advisors, they don't always have the skills, I think, to support neurodiverse students. So if we can get them in school before they disengage, you know, not everyone's going to go to TAFE or university. No, and that's right. But it's uh, what, what is the best pathway for them, yes. whether it's going straight into the workplace, into higher ed, uh, yeah. you know, how do we better support people so that they have the best outcomes possible? Um, yes. So the concept is fantastic and I really hope the schools... Uh, take it up and that we can broaden it to include all neurodiverse um, students. Yes. yes. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it, there are some companies we're talking to who are around neurodiverse employment programs and in some cases we're looking at very inclusive ones where there's no prerequisite for a degree or anything. Um, we're looking just to train them up from, from scratch. But then there are others that, that they're looking for undergrads and they want to uh, have students who, are, who can move to part-time and work uh, part-time while they study part-time. So there's a range of options. We're talking to different companies about doing different sorts of programs. It um, really depends on what fits them. And many of them are, want to start with some sort of internship program so that they expand their existing internship or work experience program to include uh, a couple of neurodiverse students. So that's, that's encouraging as well. And so when um, people come onto your program, do they have to have a formal diagnosis of autism or say if you were placing a dyslexic person, do they have to have a formal diagnosis? 
we have done that, but um, because we've had in the in the past um, had people who didn't have them who said they did, and um, they were just trying to get a job. So, unfortunately, that's that's what we've um, taken to that we need that formal uh, diagnosis. And now that's just good to know for our listeners. I'm sure it's the same with autism, though you can get funding, but for dyslexic assessments, there's no funding at the moment, so it's a real barrier. Oh, right. Okay. Right. You okay. can't claim anything under MBS at the moment and you know an assessment's at 1500 plus and so there's a real oh, barrier wow. for people actually getting a formal assessment at the moment it's some work we're trying to do with the federal government but it's just yeah for any of our listeners out there that are keen to learn more about your program that they may need mm. to go and get that assessment but certainly just to access the hub and use those resources that's uh, that's totally available to anyone so which is fantastic and we'll circulate all of um, that information to our listeners because I think it's going to be really valuable, especially uh, during this time of change, having yes. some resources that can support, support our community is really important. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Andrew. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap, wrap up? Um, no, the only thing is I just think it's important that we use any opportunity to um, promote the awareness and, and change the narrative and just get that understanding out there because it's just going to make a difference to so many people. Yes, it is. That's why we're called Dear Dyslexic because we diarise our, our thoughts on uh, auditory rather than written and it's all around changing the narrative and sharing the stories and that through stories we're able to really empower and change the way the world sees us. So thank that's you so much. Thank you. To find out more about all the wonderful work Andrew's doing at Untapped or the Neurodiversity Hub, or to find out more about how you can help your students during the COVID pandemic, head to deardyslexic.com. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you've heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Did you know we now have a new live Q&A series called Question Dis, D-Y-S, created during COVID to help our community feel more connected. Each month I interview a fellow dyslexic about all things dyslexia and life. The Question Dis series is running through Facebook Live. I really hope you can come along and join us for one of these sessions. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us, admin at dyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today. Bye for now.